dear friends, sometimes God takes us down a path we'd rather not go, allowing seemingly undesirable things to happen to us while preventing other good things from coming to pass. Have you had this experience? As I record this episode, I am actually emerging from probably the most testing and bewildering season of my spiritual life. And yet, this season hasn't been without some very beautiful insights. The term the dark night of the soul is something some listeners may have come across before. Coined most famously by the medieval mystic Saint John of the Cross, it is often used to describe a type of extreme spiritual darkness, something akin to Mother Teresa's 50 long years of not feeling God's presence, or Therese Lisieux's doubt about heaven's reality on her deathbed, or just Jesus' interior anguish during his passion and crucifixion. However, the gift of the dark night of the soul, and it is a gift, is not something reserved for just the extremely saintly. If it were, I'd be instantly disqualified because I'm not very saintly at all. Rather, the dark night is a necessary gift for our spiritual growth. But what is the dark night? Let's start by talking about what it is not. It is not just a period of spiritual desolation where one feels disconnected from God or when prayer suddenly goes dry. It is not an extreme mental condition like depression or grief or anxiety or even a mixture of mental and spiritual conditions. And it is not an experience of overwhelming suffering, as if suffering could somehow be quantified on a scale. For suffering is never the central feature of a soul being led through the dark night. Rather, Union with God is always the central focus of the dark night. In order to achieve this union though, St. John of the Cross says that God must first lead us through some intense purification that we would otherwise never dare to undertake ourselves. The dark night then could be understood as God leading the soul down a map only God sees in order to bring the soul to a place we would never travel to ourselves. You're listening to The Myth Pilgrim, and I am Brother Lawrence of the Missionaries of God's Love. At its heart, the spiritual journey is a delightful and perilous adventure, just like the myths and fairy tales we love. This podcast is also a journey, learning from both wizards and saints, enchanted princesses and inner demons. Together, we'll discover how the great symbols of myth and fairy tale can guide us on our journey to God. The Dark Knight is always an experience best captured using poetry and imagery rather than just words. Indeed, St. John wrote his Dark Knight of the Soul as a poem first, before he turned it into spiritual commentary. Taking his cue, I recently fleshed out a short story called The Fallen Knight, as in knight with a K, which aims to communicate my own Dark Knight experiences through narrative and symbol. As you now listen to this story, know that it is far more testimony than it is fiction. After narrating the story, I will comment on some of the imagery I have chosen and how it borrows from John's own teaching about the dark night of the soul. 
Yanis was a simple gardener who loved cultivating plants. However, his kingdom had fallen into great peril. In the dead of night, terrifying dragons had abducted their young queen and taken her atop a perilous mountain. Who will rescue her? The townsfolk wondered. We are a peaceful people and have no knights. A wise woman called a meeting in the kingdom square. Every able-bodied young man must embark on a quest to save the queen. She said. They must all be trained up in the art of combat, and so all the young men, including Yanis, were enlisted to learn the art of combat. They trained hard, for they were all good and brave men. Yanis trained hardest of them all. On the eve of the men setting out, the wise woman called one last meeting. The mountain is dangerous, filled with dark forests and jagged rocks. You will need help navigating the climb, and so each man must take with him a royal hound. These mighty dogs have lived in the palace for generations. Their eyesight and hunting instinct will surely aid the great quest. Here, here," said the knights, each one taking a dog. The wise woman then especially motioned to Yanis, "I have for you a special dog." She brought before him a tiny puppy with big innocent eyes. The wise woman then leaned in close to Yanis, "Luna may not look very impressive, but promise me that you'll trust her till the very end." Yanis nodded uncertainly, and Luna panted happily and licked his hand. The next day, the knights set out to the base of the mountain, each with a dog on leash. The roar of the dragons at the peak sent a shiver down everyone's spine. Arise, knights! We live and die for the queen. The hounds then charged up the mountain, and the knights all followed them, swords out, armor clanging. All except Luna, who bolted in another direction altogether, yanking Yanis with her. He tried to keep up, but the puppy was surprisingly strong. Stop, Luna! You're going the wrong way. Turn around. We need to be going up, not down the mountain. He soon became alarmed that Luna was charging straight towards the edge of a cliff. Stop! He cried, but he lost his footing and tumbled right over the edge. Down and down they rolled, bumping hard into jagged rocks and edges. Striking the many rocks shattered Yanis's sword and shield into many pieces, and his helmet broke right off. Down they tumbled, further and further away from the mountain top, plummeting in sheer darkness for many scary moments. Until, splash! They plunged into a lake at the bottom of the ravine. Icy water assaulted them from every side. Yanis panicked. While he was a good swimmer, he simply couldn't do so while his armor weighed him down. As he gasped and thrashed in the dark, Luna calmly swam around him and under him. Loosening and stripping away the bonds that tied the armor to his body. Just when the exhausted Yanis noticed Luna trying to help him, he passed out. When he finally came to, it was night time. There was no moon, but a few pale stars offered the ravine a gentle light. Yanis saw that he was now lying beside the lake. How long have I been here? He wondered. Up above, in the distance, he could just hear the knights' hollering battle cries. The roaring of the dragons echoed down the ravine, as did the sound of clanging claws on shield. Realizing the great quest was still happening, Yanis quickly jumped up and tried to clamber up the ravine, but his battered body didn't get him very far. He collapsed back down, feeling very lonely and forgotten. Help! He whispered, knowing no one could hear him, especially when the knights were busy on the great quest. 
It was then that he noticed Luna's soft panting next to him. You, it's your fault we fell down here. I've lost everything now. Luna licked his hand affectionately, and Giannis suddenly remembered how the puppy had helped him become free from his armor. His tone softened. The wise woman told me to trust you. Now, how can we rejoin the others on the great quest? Luna immediately got up and jumped into the lake, barking at Giannis as if motioning him to follow. You want me to go into the lake? But the fight's up there, not in here. Luna answered by simply diving below the surface. She must be leading me to retrieve my armor, Yanis thought, and so he took a deep breath and leapt back into the lake too. Without all his armor hampering him now, he found it surprisingly easy to dive and swim. In fact, as he dove under, he realized the bottom of the lake was a still and peaceful place. He saw Luna there now, tugging at something growing in the ground. It was some sort of blue aquatic flower. That's strange. I wonder what that is. Giannis skillfully twisted the stem with both hands, and the flower head soon popped off. Excited, Luna took the flower in her mouth and swam back to the surface with haste. She didn't seem interested in retrieving any of Giannis's gear at all. Confused and curious, Giannis followed his dog back up, leaving all of his gear at the lake's bottom. When Giannis broke the surface, however, Luna was gone. Ah, uh, Luna, Luna. Giannis strained his ears to hear her panting. Sheer silence. He looked around frantically. Not even any paw prints were left in the dirt. A dark cloud rolled across the sky and blocked out the few pale stars, so that the entire ravine was now shrouded in a darkness darker than night. While Yanis desperately wanted to continue trusting his dog, the crippling feeling of abandonment began to creep into his heart. His one companion had left him, and his last hope of joining the great quest had been snuffed out. In the darkness of the ravine, our fallen knight sat. Meanwhile, atop the mountain, the knights victoriously slew the dragons and rescued the queen, who only suffered a small wound to the shoulder. They came down the mountain together, and with great parade, returned back to the palace. No one even thought about Yarnus or where he might be, except the wise woman who wondered where Luna might have led him. Then, just as everyone slept that night, something unexpected happened. The queen began to turn a sickly colour, break out in fever and struggle for breath. When the wise woman was called to investigate, she shook her head sadly. Our queen has been poisoned by dragon venom. By dawn, her heart will stop. There is only one antidote that can save her now, an ancient flower that grows in the lowest, darkest part of the mountain. It is the one place that no knight would ever venture himself. It was at this point that Luna bounded into the bedroom, carrying the ancient flower in her mouth. The wise woman smiled knowingly, took the flower, and immediately began making the antidote. She chuckled at Luna. The antidote will be ready in no time, brave and faithful dog. Now, at dawn, go lead the other knights back to the mountain, and bring home our brave comrade. Luna barked excitedly, knowing how much her reappearance would mean to Yanis. 
And so, this is how it came to be that Janus finally discovered his part in the great quest. Though it would take many years for him to understand why it was he who was given Luna, he trusted that his dog had intended to lead him to the lowest, darkest place on the mountain. For that was the one place that no knight would ever venture himself. So there's the story of the Fallen Knight, and I pray it can speak to your journey in some way. For your interest, the name Janus is actually Greek for John, which is a subtle reference to St. John of the Cross. Hmm. Anyway, I will now offer some commentary on how the symbols of the story communicate John's teaching on the Dark Knight. First, I will reflect on the sheer bewilderment one initially experiences during the Dark Knight. Then I will comment on the intense purification one is invited to undergo during the Dark Knight. And thirdly, I will comment on the special intimacy with God that one experiences during the Dark Knight, something that can only be born in aloneness. Hmm. Okay, first, sheer bewilderment. The confusion experienced by Janus came from him genuinely not understanding why things had to happen the way they did. After all, why would a humble gardener get trained up as a knight, only to have all his knightly preparation and gear suddenly thrown out the window, especially when being a knight seemed to be what was most important? A fair question. If Janus represents each of us and Luna represents God, then you might recall that it was Luna who literally pulls Janus down into the ravine, forcing him to lose all his weapons and armour in the process. As our lonely hero lies in the dark at the ravine bottom, you'd be forgiven if he were totally bewildered and even angry at what Luna had done. These are often the initial experiences of a soul being led through the dark night, and it was certainly John of the Cross's experience. Recall that his greatest writings were composed while he was imprisoned in an inhumanely tiny cell by members of his own religious order, merely for daring to propose reform to their corruption. Yet these nine months of darkness, of isolation, of beatings, of solitary confinement would become the privileged place of encounter with God and would forever define his spirituality and legacy forever. But he didn't know this at the time. Only in persevering through the darkness would John one day understand why God had placed him in the prison. In the same way that only later would Janus understand why Luna had led him into the deepest, darkest place on the mountain. In the original Spanish, the word dark in the term dark night doesn't actually mean something sinister or evil, but rather something that's obscured. Obscured night is the better translation for dark night. John chooses the word obscure because the dark night is where God's will and presence becomes obscured from sight, unable to be comprehended. During this season, God is leading us down a path no reasonable person would choose to travel themselves. This explains the suffering the soul initially experiences. Like Janus, all we sense is the darkness and the loss, and have not yet gained the sense to see the aquatic flower. But God, unlike us, is often interested in the long game. We think in hours and days, while God thinks in years, even decades. 
Hence, my own recent experiences of the dark night have taught me to truly exercise that muscle called faith. Where many would simply throw in the towel and walk away from God, my encouragement instead is to persevere. If you feel you cannot find it within yourself to live by faith, rely instead on the faith of your past. Lean on your personal history of faith and remember the many times God has come through. This will help you persevere, for your personal history of faith can never be taken away from you. John seems to refer to this when he speaks about navigating his dark night, quote, without light or guide, save that which burned in my heart, end quote. A second feature of the dark night is that it is a season of intense purification. Every spiritual writer talks about the importance of purification in order to grow in holiness. Purification denotes the purging and detachment from any thing or idea or person or habit that would prevent full union with God. In the usual course of the spiritual life, purification is usually something we actively do. You know, I actively choose to let go of a bad habit or to let go of some vice, etc. This is good and healthy and to be commended. However, what makes purification of the dark night challenging, though, is that it is God that leads us through the purification. It is His initiative. We are, as it were, involuntarily purged from something we've desperately clung onto, something we may not even realize was harmful to our soul. This passive purification is what Jesus referred to when He said to Peter in John 21. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. In the story, you may remember that in order for Janus to obtain the aquatic flower and fulfill his part in the great quest, he first needed to be purified. How? Everything that made him a knight needed to be stripped away in order for him to descend to the bottom. Hence, Luna leads him on the painful descent she did, removing his sword, shield and armour in the process. I intended this process to be dramatic in the story because that is often how we feel when God leads us through the dark night. Not long ago, I remember lamenting to my spiritual director how, within a few days, every door seemed to slam shut, everything that was once permanent seemed shiftable and every hope I once clung onto simultaneously got snuffed out at the same time. By the end of that session, I concluded that things had gotten so bad, it must be God. And my director actually confirmed that this was a sure sign of being led through the dark night, where everything, both within and outside me, seemed to be stripped away. I was strangely encouraged by this insight, for it allowed me to finally surrender and cease struggling, and to place my trust in God knowing that the divine surgeon was doing something wonderful that I would never do to myself. A third distinct feature of the dark night is divine intimacy, particularly through the experience of aloneness. You'll recall that in the story, Janus is literally separated from the rest of the knights, with his sole companion being Luna. 
The experience of the dark night is often a very lonesome journey, precisely because God is purifying us from attachment to our usual supports, which includes people, so that we can learn to cling to God alone. Over the last few months, I was led through a series of events that I felt literally no one could understand. And in fact, the more I tried to share it with well-meaning people, the more isolated I felt. And it is here, mysteriously, that I found a different kind of intimacy with God, the God of the dark night, because he was the one person that could know what I was going through, even if I couldn't feel his presence. How this actually works, I cannot even put into words, but there is a special intimacy you have with God when you know that no one else can possibly understand your journey. If you actually get a chance to read John's Dark Night poem, you may be surprised to find that it is in fact a love poem about lovers eloping under the cover of night. As one of the stanzas famously goes, O guiding night, O night more lovely than the dawn, O night that has united the lover with his beloved, transforming the beloved in her lover. Indeed, night is not the enemy of divine intimacy, but its very means. It is for this reason that I named the God character in my story Luna, because it references the light of the moon, which serves as our quiet companion, present only during the dark of the night. Okay, so there you have it, friends. As we finish up this episode, I do hope and pray that something of my journey has been able to shed some light on yours. If you would like some reading to further your appreciation of The Dark Knight as a gift, I highly recommend two books, aside, of course, from reading the original works of John of the Cross, if you're game. One is simply called Dark Nights of the Soul by Thomas More, and the other is called The Impact of God by Ian Matthew with the latter also being a superb introduction to the spirituality of John of the Cross. I will leave a link to both books in the show notes and on the Myth Pilgrim website. As we finish up, I wish to gently reiterate to you that the Dark Knight is a gift, one that is absolutely necessary for your spiritual growth. Where some of your friends and teachers and even spiritual directors may not understand it and make you think something has gone terribly wrong in your spiritual life, know that you have companions in writers like St. John of the Cross and the two authors I mentioned. You also have my faithful prayers too, dear pilgrims, always. So, whether travelling in broad daylight or the darkest of nights, journey forth, take care and God bless. <laughs>